Open your Bibles up to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's good to see some new faces in here. If you're visiting with us this morning, I would love to greet you afterwards. And uh, praise God for a room full of His people who want to worship Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. A Spanish teacher in a local community college in Southern California recently asked her students to post online on a class forum that they have what their gender identity was and their beliefs in regard to using gender-neutral pronouns, and particularly for them in speaking Spanish. You know what I'm talking about when I talk about gender neutral and all that? That's the idea that a he can be a he, or if he feels like a she, then he can identify as a she. Or he might want to be a they, even though he is a singular and they is plural, he might want to be a plural, they. Or he might want to be a Z, or he might want to be a S-I-E, which I think is Psi, or a so Z, and then there's a per, for person, I guess. I don't really know. I have not been educated in all that. But the assignment was to post up what you feel you are and then what you believe about the topic and then to comment on other people's posts and, and tell them what you think. So most of the students, the majority of the students, posted that they believed that that one could choose from multiple genders as opposed to just male and female. The majority stated that a person can assign oneself a variety of pronouns based upon how they feel. So a Christian student in the class decided to post up her belief on what she believed about genders, and she posted that she believed God created only two genders, male and female. And so some of the students commented on her post and they pounced on her and accused her of, of being unkind and of narrow. How can you know what God thinks about something like this? I mean, how arrogant is it for you to speak for God? Another student who, quote unquote, claimed to be a Christian argued with her. And she said, I feel that God has made us unique and special. He loves diversity. So who are you to say that God didn't make more than just two genders? And so that Christian, that Christian girl, as a quote-unquote Christian student, how did she come up with her belief? What was it based on? It was based upon how she feels. And her idea is, if she feels a certain way, then that's what God must think. So her feelings determine God's thoughts, I guess, or reflect God's thoughts. And so as you think about a situation like that, the question then is, how do we know what God actually thinks about that? Like, how can we know the thoughts of God? Like, how do we know God's opinion on issues like gender? I mean, in fact, even kind of going out more than that, how can we even know who God is? How can you even know what truth is? How do we know there aren't multiple gods? I mean, how do we know that 
that the Quran or the Book of Mormon, how do we know that's a false view of God? How do we know the thoughts of God? Well, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. And those verses teach that the only way you can know God's thoughts is through the work of the Holy Spirit. In our time of preaching here, we are declaring what God thinks. We're authoritatively saying, here's what God thinks on this issue. How are we able to do that? What gives us the right to be able to say what God thinks? Well, remember the whole context of this chapter here, and it's Paul teaching the church about how and what they should preach and teach. And he's saying in general in these two chapters, specifically in chapter two, that we are to teach and preach the wisdom of God as opposed to the wisdom of man, the wisdom of this world. And the wisdom of man are are the thoughts and the ideas that man has about God. It's what man imagines God to be, like that girl imagined what she thought God thought. It's what religions have established as what they think God, who they think God is. The wisdom of man includes futile ambitions. It includes what our culture values. It's what society, or it's how society views our world. It's it's the theories of how the universe came into existence. It's what our world thinks is important. That's the wisdom of man. And in contrast to the wisdom of man is the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God is what God thinks. The wisdom of God is what is true. And what God thinks is true because God is truth. That's who he is. And the most most wonderful truth, the wisest plan of all, is that God sent his son to save sinners, to save you and me. And last week we learned that no one could come to that conclusion with their own thinking. In fact, look at verse 9. We can see that there. He says, but as it's written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. No one could come up with that with their own eyes, with their own ears, with their own imaginations. It's God's wisdom. In 1674, there was a man named Anton Van Luiken, no, I don't know how to say his name, but it's Liuken, Uk. It's a weird name. But anyways, he looked into a microscope, and he was the first human to actually see a single cell. He was able to look in that microscope and see a nucleus and, and the mitochondria and all that kind of stuff. Before that, no I had seen that. No mind could really imagine what was in a cell. It took that microscope to be able to see that. Or think about the vastness of space. I mean, if you go out tonight in a place where there's not a lot of lights, you'll look out into space and you'll see some stars, maybe a planet or two. You'll see the moon. But you can't really see beyond that. But if you peer into a picture taken from the Hubble telescope, Your eyes will see things far beyond our galaxy that no mind could ever imagine. And it took the Hubble telescope to see that. Now think about God. Think about how 
much more immense he is, how unfathomable he is, how much more wonderful is his genius. And no human could peer into the thoughts of God and come up with the knowledge of God. So how can we know, how can we understand God's wisdom? What instrument does God allow us to use to peer into his thoughts? Well, there's no thing, it's not a thing, it's a person. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. It's the third person of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. So how can we know God's thoughts? Well, we're going to look at three works of the Holy Spirit that really communicate God's thoughts to our minds. And the first work we're going to see is the Holy Spirit reveals God's thoughts. The Holy Spirit reveals God's thoughts. Look at verse 10. We concluded with this verse last week, verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now, what are these things? Well, in the context, it refers back to the wisdom of God, particularly the plan that God had to send Jesus Christ to redeem us from our sins. So God had a redemption planned, and he revealed that through the Spirit to us. So it's the the role of the Spirit to unveil, to make known who God is and what God's plans are. And so the first question we must ask is, why is he the one who has this role? Why is this his role? Well, verses 10 and 11 answer that. And there's two reasons. Verse 10 says this, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So he gives here two reasons why the Holy Spirit is the only one who can reveal the wisdom of God. And what are those reasons? Well, verse 10, it's because the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So here's the reason. The reason the Holy Spirit can reveal the wisdom of God is because he is able to know. He is able to know. And why is that? Because the Spirit is omniscient. He knows everything, omniscient, all knowledge. He knows everything. He knows what you're thinking right now or what you should be thinking about right now. He knows what's happening over in the Ukraine. He knows what happened to a squirrel in a tree a thousand years ago. He knows the the name of that shooting star that's shooting across the galaxy millions of miles away. He knows everything. And so he says, the scripture says that he knows everything and he searches the depths of God. The word searches there speaks of one who thoroughly examines and knows everything there is about that topic. I think about when I go to the library and I'm looking for a particular book or an article on something. And and typically when I go into the library, I'm, I'm looking for this and I'm trying to figure out the Dewey Decimal System I'm trying to figure out where this book is, and nine times out of ten, I'm lost. I'm confused. I can't figure out where this book is. 
I'm, I'm, it just hap- happened to me this past week. I'm looking around for this, and I'm just wandering around until I go and find the librarian. And then I ask them, where is this book? And right away, they you know, make a V-line right for it, show me where it's at, takes it off the stack, puts it in my hand, and I have it. And how did that librarian know where that book was? Well, he or she has searched, they have examined much of that library so they know what's there and they know where to find it. And so the Holy Spirit here searches the deep things of God. And just take that illustration of a librarian and multiply it by infinity, right? This is the ability of the Spirit to know and search all things, even the deep things of God. So then the question is, what are the deep things of God? Well, this word depth or deep relates to Greek terms that refer to the the depth of the ocean or the the depth of space. So so imagine the ocean, imagine the deepest part of the ocean. I think it's the Mariana Trench, right? It's seven miles down. I mean, think about that. Think about how long it would take to descend down. I mean, I don't even think a human can go down there. I think there's one person that went in some type of submarine. But the point is, think about all that's down there. We don't even know much of what's down there. Or or think about the the depth of space. I mean, it goes on and on and on, and there are millions and trillions and quadrillions of galaxies and planets and stars. I mean, it keeps going on. And that's the picture here of the thoughts of God, of the deep things of God. It keeps going on and on to infinity. I mean, God's thoughts are infinite which basically means his thoughts are without limit. Like, can you, can you fathom that? I mean, think about that. We're limited, right? I mean, I'm, I'm limited in space. I'm standing right here. I'm not standing over in France. I can't do that. I'm limited in time. I'm living on this day in 2022. I'm limited in what I can think about. I'm thinking about my sermon, not what I'm going to eat, although now I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat, Right? <laughs> We're limited. So we exist, we live, we move in a, in a finite way, but God lives and moves and has the ability to live and his being lives in infinity. I mean, that, that should blow our minds. How can we fathom a being that is unlimited in power, whose knowledge is immeasurable and his existence is eternal. He's never had a beginning. He'll never have an ending. God, listen to this. This, is, this should blow your mind. God exists outside of time and inside of time, before, uh, before time and after time, all at the same time. Isn't that amazing to think about? He exists outside of time, inside of time, before time, after time, all at the same time. Because God just is. He is the I am. God is transcendent. He is independent from anything but himself. God is so immense and majestic that a mere human could never exhaustively comprehend God. And that's why Paul, after he writes about all this doctrine Paul, in Romans chapter 11, he just can't help but praise God and say, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? What's the answer to that? No one. No one can know the mind of the Lord. No one has been his counselor. His wisdom is far beyond us. Yet he does share a small piece of his wisdom with us. He does communicate his thoughts to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the first reason is that he's able to. The second reason that he can reveal God's thoughts is because he has the same nature as God the Father and God the Son. In fact, look at verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Have you ever had someone assume that you were thinking something that you weren't thinking? I think about the the funny story of a guy and girl who are dating, and they're going to go on a date, so they get in the car, and they're driving down the road, and you know the guy's driving down the road, and he's quiet, and he just staring out the window and just thinking about things. And his girlfriend's right next to her, him there, and she looks over at him, and she thinks, why is he so quiet? Maybe, and she starts thinking to herself, maybe, maybe he's had a bad day. Or maybe, maybe he's mad at me. And she starts thinking, you know what? Maybe he didn't like the restaurant I picked. I bet that's what it is. And you know what? He's been quiet for a long, I wonder if he's going to break up with me tonight. Are we going to the restaurant? Is that what he's going to do afterwards? And the guy's sitting there, and he's driving, and he's thinking, I wonder what the score of the game is right now. (laughs) And uh, I can't wait to have a juicy steak tonight. And what's the problem there? Is she's assuming what he's thinking. And, And the problem is, is that only the one who knows his own thoughts can know what he's thinking, Right? The the only one who knows his own thoughts is himself. And if she wants to know what he's thinking, what does she need to do? Ask him, and he needs to tell her. And in a similar way, we can't assume to know what God thinks. The only one who knows God's thoughts is the Spirit of God. Only God can know the thoughts of God. Only God can know the thoughts of God, just like only you can know the thoughts of you. And the exception is what? The exception is when a person speaks their thoughts. And so that's what we see with God's word, that the Holy Spirit has given us the thoughts of God through the word of God. The God's words are the thoughts of God made known by the Spirit of God. And so verse 11 teaches that because the Holy Holy Spirit shares the same nature as the Father and the Son, then he is able to make them known to us. And so the first work is that he reveals. The second work is that he gives understanding of God's thoughts. The Holy Spirit reveals God's, God's thoughts, and the Holy Spirit gives understanding of God's thoughts. Look at verse 12. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Now commentators are split on the interpretation of this verse. 
Many view the, the we and the us in this, these passages as referring to Paul and the apostles. And so that's a possible way to interpret this. Those who take that position then view this verse speaking about the Holy Spirit's role in inspiration. So the idea is Paul and the apostles received the Holy Spirit. So what they wrote down is inspired, God-breathed scripture. Now, I believe in the inspiration of scripture. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But I don't believe that is what this text is teaching. And I wrestled with this text for two weeks and read and read and studied and studied. And in the end of the day, I believe that this is speaking about illumination. And I'll be honest, my theology wanted to take the first position. And actually, I think it preaches better. (laughs) It's easier to preach. But in the end, I just came back to the conclusion that I think it's speaking about illumination. What is illumination? It's the Spirit's work to enable our minds to understand the thoughts of God found in the Word of God. It's the Spirit's work to enable our minds to understand the thoughts of God found in the Word of God. And the context of chapter 2 is about the preaching and teaching of the wisdom of God. And so if you remember in verses 1 through 5, Paul is testifying of how he preached. And so he uses the singular pronouns, I. And then in verse 6, he switches to the plural to address the teachers and preachers within the church. And so if you look at verse 6, he says that he wrote, or he wrote here, yet among the mature, those growing in in the Lord, Christians who want to grow, we impart, that's the word speak, we speak wisdom. And so in verse 8, he wrote, we impart, or we speak God's wisdom. And in verse 13, he wrote that we impart, or we speak this wisdom in words. So so the question is, who were the we who impart this wisdom to the church? And I definitely think it includes the apostles and includes Paul, obviously. But I think it also included men like Apollos. Apollos is uh, spoken about in chapter 1 and chapter 3, so before this chapter and after this chapter. Apollos pastored the church at one point. He went through there and preached, but he was not an apostle. And also, I think that the, the plain reading of these verses brings us to the conclusion that he's speaking of all Christians. And he's speaking about those who, who speak the word to the church. And so verse 12 then means this that God has given us, that's Christians in the church, the gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. And one of the key roles of the Holy Spirit is to illumine, to enable our minds to understand the thoughts of God found in the word of God. And so I want you to follow this logic. Only the Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God. Only the Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God. Christians have received the Holy Spirit, so he he indwells us, and so therefore we can understand the thoughts of God. So where are the thoughts of God found? Well, it's found in the Word of God. The only way for you to understand the word of God is for the spirit of God to do a special work in your mind to give you understanding. 
Now, when we say that, you say, well, I have friends who aren't believers, and they read the Bible, and they know what these words mean. Well, we're not saying that the Bible is written in some kind of alien language, you know, and you got to watch the History Channel to find out what the aliens believe it says, you know? We're not talking about that. It's not like, it's, it's not like they can't read John 3, 16 and know what God is and love is and sin is son and, you know, what perish means. Like, they can understand those, those words. But the idea is, without the Holy Spirit, they won't be able to taste the goodness of God. As Peter says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's speaking of the word of God. And the Holy Spirit enables a believer to understand his word. And what that means is that the Spirit connects the truth of God to the heart of that believer. So that the believer is caused to delight in God. They see the attributes and the works of God and they delight in that. The Holy Spirit causes you to to see the the holiness of God and to to fall back in fear of God and awe of him. The Holy Spirit allows us to have faith, to trust his promises and, and to have praise, to thank him for what he has done. And so the Holy Spirit enables us to trust his words, to, to believe in his words, to, yes, understand his words, and to enjoy his words. I mean, how do we explain to people who come to a service like this and, and, and one person's sitting there and they're listening to Jesus Christ and how he came to die for us, and that person goes, oh, when is this going to be over? And then they're indifferent to it. They don't care. It's like, all I care about is going home and getting that food that I have prepared or going out to eat somewhere. And, and they're, they're bored, and it means nothing to them. And then you have another person who's sitting there, and they have their Bible, and they're looking up, and they, they hear about Christ and what he's done, and they're going, yes, I'm trusting that. And they hear about heaven. They go, I can't wait to go there. I mean, what's the difference between those two people? Well, it's the illumination work of the Holy Spirit. The difference is the work of the Holy Spirit to enable the the mind to understand and rejoice in the truth of God. Or how do you explain? How do you explain when when we all stand up and one person maybe is visiting and, and they're not a believer and they stand up and they see the words up there? I mean, they understand to God be the glory. They know what glory is. Maybe not, but they understand the general idea of glory and they understand God and things he's done, okay, things God has done. They might even have heard some Bible stories about it, but they don't care, right? It doesn't matter to them, and everyone's singing. It's meaningless for them. And how do you explain how a person like that can just look at the floor and like this, and then you have someone that's standing next to them, and they say, and they see to God be the glory, and they say, yes, God be the glory. Great things he's done. Yes, he's done some great things for me. I mean, how do you explain what, what's happening in that person's heart? And they see their sin, and you have, you have Brendan that comes up, and he says, yes, we're, we're sinners. And we sing, his mercy is more. We go, my sins, they're many. And we, we're just broken by our sins. You might even cry and be like, oh, I'm so sorry, Lord. But his mercy is more. Like, how do, how do you have a response like that? It's only because the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. He connects God's truth to your mind and to your heart. That's why the Lord says that we worship in spirit and in truth. And so he says in verse 12, we have received the spirit who is from God. Why? That we might understand the things freely given to us by God. 
And let me just give a quick flyover of the Holy Spirit's work. Because before a person is a believer, they could care less about the things of the Lord. They're indifferent to the gospel, or maybe they're hostile to the gospel. They don't desire the the holiness of God. They don't desire the righteousness of God. They don't care. But then when the word of God is preached, or it's proclaimed, or it's told to them, they hear God's word. And the Bible says that the, the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict them of sin. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit has come and he convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And so if you're in here without the Lord today and you feel the guilt of your sin, maybe you're out doing something and you feel like this isn't right, or maybe even today you go, something's not right. I I feel like something's wrong. That's the Holy Spirit saying, God is holy. You have transgressed his laws. And if you don't repent and believe the gospel, you will forever be damned. And that's the correct meaning of that word right there. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin. That's one of his works. And the really scary thing about that is the Bible says he does that work. And without that work, you cannot come to Christ. In other words, you might be sinning or you might think about your sin and you think, well, I don't care about that. I don't care about the Holy Spirit's work in my life to convict me of sin. I don't care. I don't need to come to Christ. The Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. In other words, here's the point. There could be a day where the Holy Spirit stops convicting you of your sin and you have no hope. You might think, I can wait till tomorrow. I can wait till I'm older. I can wait for another time. You don't know that because only the Holy Spirit can convict you. And that's how we explain people that are out there and they could care less about their sin that maybe they've heard the gospel and they don't care because their heart is so hardened and the Holy Spirit isn't convicting them anymore. And we don't know that. You know, we can't see in their heart. But we know it's a reality that that does happen. And so to resist the Holy Spirit and to say no to the Holy Spirit is actually causing condemnation to come upon you and you very well might die in your sins. So the Holy Spirit convicts And then what he does is he uses the word to bring your soul to life. You hear the gospel. You hear that Jesus Christ died and he rose again. And you say, I don't want to follow my sin and follow my way. I want to believe in Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. And the Bible says when that happens, that the word of God by the spirit of God brings our soul to life. You have been born again, brought to life through the living and abiding word of God. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit dwells in us and we forever have his spirit. That's why verse 12 says, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit from God. We, have, we are indwelt with the spirit. He does not leave us. And he continues to do the work of, of convicting us of, of sin. He continues to use the word of God to, to give us faith in his promises. He continues to use the word to renew our minds, to to give us his desires. He continues to use the word to sanctify us, to grow us, to comfort us. He continues to use the word to direct us and to lead us. He continues to use the word to open our eyes to spiritual truth. And do you notice what I keep talking about? Not just the Holy Spirit, but something else. What is it? He uses the word. And that's what he's talking about in verse 12. Look at the end of verse 12 that we might understand what? The things. The things freely given us by God. 
freely graced to us by God. What are those things? Well, they're the thoughts of God. They're the wisdoms, the wisdom of God. It's, it's the revelation of God found in the word of God. So the spirit of God uses the word of God, and you can actually you could accurately say the word of Christ, because this is the teachings of Christ. Christ taught the Old Testament, and the New Testament are his teachings. So the word of Christ, the Holy Spirit, uses the word of Christ to do the work of God. And there you see the Trinity. The Holy Spirit takes the word of Christ and uses that to do the work of God. So the work of the Spirit and the work of the word are inseparable. You can't separate them. That's why in Ephesians, he says in in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. Clearly, that's the Holy Spirit. And then he says in the parallel passage of Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ fill you or dwell in you. So here you have the Holy Spirit, and here you have the Word of Christ, and they're like synonyms of each other. Like you're, you're to let the Holy Spirit control you and the Word of Christ control you. And so we need the Holy Spirit to help us understand His Word. That's why the psalmist says, open my eyes. In a prayer, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. It's not that he couldn't read the law, but it's, I want to see the joy of your law. I want to see you, Lord. Or it's why Jesus, when he taught the disciples, they didn't understand. He he taught them the scripture they didn't understand until he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's why Paul prayed for the church. And he prayed that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Where is that found? That's found in the word of God, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That's not a prayer for us to seek some type of visions or special revelations or some kind of dreams. No, his prayer was that the Father would use the Spirit to enable him to understand the wisdom and revelation of Christ found in the Word of God. And so third, the third work we see of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit has inscripturated God's thoughts. The Holy Spirit has inscripturated God's thoughts. Look at verse 13. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Remember in verse 13 there, the word impart means to speak. So Paul is instructing what the church is to teach and to preach and to speak. So he he says here, he wrote, we impart this in words. So again, we have to ask this question, what is this, this? I mean, we see this, this all over here. What is this, this that we impart in words? Well, look at verse 12. It's the same things that are freely given to us by God. In verse 11, it's the same as the thoughts of God. In verse 10, it's the same things as the things God has revealed and the deep things of God. In verse 6 and 7, it's the same thing as the wisdom of God. 
In other words, that this here that he imparts is the revelation of God. It's the thoughts of God. It's the wisdom of God. It's the mind of God. It's God revealing himself to us by the work of the Spirit. And how is he communicating that to us? What does it say in verse 13? We speak this revelation of God in what? In words. God doesn't reveal himself to us in our feelings. This is an important point because many people today talk as if what they feel is what God desires. If what they feel is what God thinks is truth. Recall the illustration I gave of the girl in the beginning of my sermon. That girl felt that God thought something, and therefore, that's what she thought God thought. That's what she believed God really thought about the subject. Because she felt a certain way. And, and I'm sad to say that that's how many Christians actually think. Many Christians feel something, and they therefore think, well, this is therefore what God must believe. How do we know what God believes? How do we know what he thinks? Well, we look at his words, right? How do I know what you think? I can't read your mind. I have to listen to your words. And so he says here, these words are not taught by human wisdom. Look at verse 13. We speak this in words not taught by human wisdom. In other words, these, these aren't the words of, of Plato or the intellectuals of society. This isn't what the celebrities think. Leonardo DiCaprio, whatever he thinks, you know, he's, he's posted this on Twitter, so that must be what we should do. This is what Mr. Feeney thinks is wise. Some of you know what that is. Mr. Feeney, like 20 years ago, was the wise guy on Boy Meets World or whatever. I don't recommend watching that. But, but the, the point is, is that's, that's what the world thinks. Oh, that's such a smart person. That's a wise person. Or even, even this whole illustration I gave of this girl. Like, why would the majority of this College class, why would the majority say that you can choose whatever pronoun you want and whatever gender you want? Who taught them that? That's the wisdom of this world. And so what we're imparting is not the wisdom of the world. What are we imparting? It's, it's we impart this in words taught by the Holy Spirit. Taught by the Holy Spirit. And so let me ask this question. What's the answer to that young lady who believes that her feelings reflect the, the thoughts of God. It's what? It's the words of God. Well, what does God think about that? Oh, let me, let me go to his words. Let's see what he says. Right? If someone says, well, this Joe, Joey thinks this, and you're Joey, I'm going to go to you. I'm going to say, Joey, can you tell me what you think? And you actually can tell me. If you want to know what God thinks, God, can you tell me what you think? And so what does God think about that? For instance, what does God think about the whole gender-neutral pronoun thing, right? And I say this because, honestly, if you're in high school and you go to a public high school, or if you're in college, like, this is what you're getting. Like, everyone in your class, the majority, believe the world's wisdom. So what's the answer to that? Matthew 19, 4, Jesus says this. Have you not read? What's Jesus doing? What does God think about it? Have you guys not read the scriptures? that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, period. Doesn't go on from there, does he? And the point is, is that we're going back to what God thinks 
found in the word of God. We impart this in words taught by the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of words on the screen up here. But how did he, how did he communicate these words to us? Really, and there's two ways. Through inspiration, and then it went into inscripturation. Inspiration really deals with uh, the Spirit impressing God's thoughts upon the minds of human authors. So what they wrote were God's words without error. So we have Peter, and you have Paul, and you have David, King David. And so they, they wrote down, they spoke the words of God, and the Holy Spirit was there impressing their thoughts with the thoughts of God. So what they wrote down was without error. So that only happened to them. Only those original writers were inspired. God breathed his word through them. I mean, what we have here now is what we call inscripturated word, the inscripturated word. Inscripturation is the spirit ensured that, the, that, that God's thoughts were transmitted to paper to be available for God's people. So it's that God says, listen, I want my word or my thoughts to be made known to his people. And so it's, it's in the scripture. It's in what we call the holy writings. Scripture means writings and the holy writings. So Paul taught the Corinthian church that God's thoughts, the revelation of himself, his wisdom has been transmitted to us in words. And those are these words right here, what we call the scripture. Now, of course, we have it written in, in English. It's translated for us from the original languages. And what was written by the authors, those who were inspired of God, they wrote that, the original document, without error. And then there's copies that happen. And so we have a translation of those copies. In the, to the degree that this translation is accurately translated from those documents and from the originals is the degree to which we have God's word. That's why it's, why it's so important to have an updated translation of the word of God. So we can have an accurate translation of God's thoughts in front of us. Now you might sit there and you say, Pastor Ben, I keep saying God's word, but didn't God speak to some people in the Bible? I mean, I'm thinking like Adam, he had that. And I'm thinking Moses and, and in, oh, wait, on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? You have Peter, James, and John. They heard God's voice. So, I mean, like God does that, right? Well, the answer is God has done that. Those were special times for special circumstances, not normal. But even, even, even in that, did you know that God's written word provides a more certain revelation than even a personal encounter with God? In fact, do this with me. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Because in 2 Peter, Paul reminds them of this encounter that he had with God on the Mount of Transfiguration. 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 20, verse 18, Peter recalls the time where Peter, James, and John saw Jesus gloriously transfigured before them. Now just imagine that. Imagine that event. I mean, here you have Jesus, God in the flesh, looked like and was a normal man and then all of a sudden he's transfigured like his he's changed he's bright he's glorious he's brilliantly transformed on that secluded mountain 
And then there appears Moses and Elijah, and all three of them are talking. And you have Peter, James, and John, whose mouths have hit the floor, right? And they hit the floor as well. They're going, what is going on? This is amazing. And what you think, think about it, you actually have the Old Testament and New Testament represented in that group of people. You have Moses, who represented the law. You have Elijah, who represented the prophets. You have Jesus, who represented the New Testament, because the New Testament is his teachings, are his teachings. And so here you have these men talking. And what are they talking about? They're talking about Jesus' soon departure. That means his death and then his ascension. That's pretty cool. And then God speaks. God the Father. He speaks and he says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And so here are Peter, James, and John. They're like, what? Like, basically you have the Old Testament, some of them, uh, Old Testament, New Testament authors, right? Right there. So you have the, the representatives of the Old New Testament, God himself speaking, and they get to listen to it. I mean, does it get much better than that? Does it? And the answer is what? Yes, it does. And you're like, what? No, I think actually that would be the best. No, actually the Bible disagrees with that. In fact, look at verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. We, this is Peter speaking, we ourselves heard this very voice, that's the voice of God, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And then verse 19, and we have the prophetic word, that's the written word here, more fully confirmed, more trustworthy, more certain. In other words, the inscripturated words of the Old and New Testament are more certain than even a voice from heaven. I mean, you ever thought, wouldn't it be great if we could talk to Moses and be like, Moses, tell me about some things. And you might think, well, that would be better than reading Deuteronomy, right? Or, or Leviticus. Or maybe if I could just talk directly to Paul and he could explain some things to me. Well, here you have these guys on this mountain. They heard from the, some of those men, from Elijah and from Moses and, and from God the Father. But yet something was wrong. Something happened. And that is that they misinterpreted what they were supposed to learn from that. And so what Peter's saying here is that God has given us a more certain word in the word of God. So God's written word is more certain than any personal revelatory experience. Now, that does not go over well in many charismatic churches because they're looking for that experience. And you might say, or they might say, well, how do you know that? Well, first of all, God says so. So that settles it. And secondly, even think about what happened after, or after the Mount of Transfiguration. What did Peter, James, and John want to do? I mean, here, here Jesus and, and Elijah and Moses are talking about what's going to happen. And, of course, that's the purpose of Jesus' coming is to die, <laughs> to be resurrected and to ascend. And what do they want to do? They want to build tents to worship. Like, let's not leave this place. Let's stay up here. In other words, what, what they saw, what they heard, they actually misinterpreted and actually applied it wrong in a wrong way. So actually, it wasn't a very certain prophecy for them, if you want to say it that way, a revelation for them. But they had here a more certain word of prophecy. So how do we know we can trust the word of God? Well, look at verse 20. 
He goes on to say, knowing this, this is how we can trust God's word over any personal experience, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture of the writings comes from someone's own interpretation. Now, interpretation is the word loose. So the idea is that it is not loose from any man's mind. There's no man that, that had these thoughts of, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to come up with this idea of holiness. Okay, I'm going to loose that and onto the scripture. Right? That did not come from the mind of man. That came from the Holy Spirit. And that's what he says in verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So go back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll close there. So the men who wrote scripture weren't writing their own ideas. The Holy Spirit took God's thoughts and impressed them on their minds so that they wrote exactly what God wanted them to write. And they did it with, with their own personality and within their own cultural context but it are, they are the very words of God. And so look down in verse 13, 1 Corinthians 2, 13. He says, we impart this revelation of God, these thoughts of God in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, what does that last phrase mean? Well, the literal translation is this combining spiritual with spiritual. So what does that mean? Well, the ESV translates it with the idea that we transmit spiritual truths to those who have the spirit. So you, the church, so we teach spiritual truths to the, those who have the Holy Spirit. The NASB, Legacy Standard Bible, and NIV translated with the idea that God's spiritual truths are communicated in spiritual words. And I would go with that last rendering there. But you know what? I don't think it matters in the end because the point is the same. And the, and the point is this, that God's truth is explained with the word of God to those who have the spirit of God. So you kind of combine both of those. But that's what the scripture teaches here, that the truth of God, the thoughts of God are communicated to the people of God with the word of God. So therefore, how do we conclude this? How do we, how do we apply this here today? I got two main applications for us to think about. Number one, we should always connect the work of the Holy Spirit to the word of God. Or to say it on the negative, never disconnect the Holy Spirit from God's word. There's a trend in our society to want to feel God and to be moved along by our feelings. God, they're looking for God to send them a sign or they go to the store and they talk to someone and they're like, okay, that must mean God wants me to do this. You know, they're always kind of reading the tea leaves and trying to figure out if, if God is speaking to them through some circumstance that happened. Oh, this happened? Oh, God must be telling me this. Or I feel that God wants me to do this apart from the word of God. That's not how God speaks to us. And so if you're going out and you're like, I gotta make a decision about this. I wonder how I feel about this. Or if you're going out and you're like, I need to make a decision about this. You know, this happened to me the other day. I bet that God did this and this and this. So this would, you know what the 
The answer is, what does God think about it? Let's go to the word of God and see what he says about it. And so don't disconnect the Holy Spirit's work in your life from the word of God. The, the spirit of God uses the word of God to do the work of God. So on the one hand, don't equate what you feel and what you want with the spirit's work apart from the word of God. On the other hand, don't ignore the Holy Spirit when he leads you according to God's word. In other words, allow the Spirit to lead you with the word. You have decisions to make? Then go to the word of God and read his word and seek to be led by the Holy Spirit. And when we come to a time like this, come into this time asking God, please use your spirit to, to open up my eyes, help me to understand truth, and then, and then lead me in obedience and faith. Help me to know how I should live this out. At the very end, we, we will close in prayer. And it's a, it's a wonderful time to pray in the Spirit and say, God, God, please use your Spirit to enable me to obey your Word. I think it's so, that's why it's so important for us every day to get up and get the Word of God out and to read the Word and allow the Word of God to lead us throughout the day as the Spirit of God presses that upon our mind. And then last here, the second point, second application is to allow God's words to saturate our thinking. This book contains the thoughts of God. Think about that. This book contains the thoughts of God, thought, the God's thoughts written down for us. So what God wants us to do with this is to put his thoughts in our mind. We should meditate on it and memorize it and think about it through the day and trust it and take comfort in it. And if, if you're going through a difficult time, go to his word. If you're trying to make a decision, go to his word. If you have a relationship problem, go to his word. If you want to know what to do about, about your parenting, go to his word. And the, the word of God, the Holy Spirit will lead us according to the word of God. And that's why he says in verse 16 that we have the mind of Christ. Where does that come from? When the thoughts of God are put into the mind of a man by the Holy Spirit and we can think God's thoughts and live for the glory of God. Let's pray. As we bow in prayer, let me encourage you to respond to the word of God and the Holy Spirit's prompting in your heart. And believer, if there's, there's a time in a, in a service like this where God brings something up to your mind, the Holy Spirit brings up something to your mind based upon the word, let me encourage you to obey the Lord in that and ask for his spirit to give you strength to do his will. Maybe you're in here and you're without Christ and the Spirit is working and you know you need to come to Him today. Don't say no to His Spirit. Please surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Lord, we are so thankful. We are so thankful that we can know, even if it's just a fraction of your thoughts, that we can know your thoughts. We can know what you think we can know what is true. I'm reminded of the psalm that says, your thoughts towards us 
that you actually think about us and you think pleasant thoughts about your children because of Christ's work for us. Because you have redeemed us, you have forgiven us. And so, Lord, I pray that each one of us in this room, we will, we will saturate our minds with your word. God, when we feel low, I pray the word of God will lift us up. God, when we're prideful and too high, I pray the word of God will bring us low. Lord, I pray that we will go to your word and we will look for your opinions, your thoughts in the word of God. May we be a people who love your word and are controlled by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name.